0: Well, we'll come to the time in our service now. We'll look at a passage from the Bible. We'll talk about what it means, why this matters, and how it applies to our lives today. So if you have a Bible with you, would you turn to Acts chapter 8, beginning at verse 26. If you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 777. Perfect number. Look at that. It's going to be a great Sunday. Okay, I'm, I'm not doing that. And when you found that, would you stand together with me? We'll read our passage together acts chapter 8 beginning at verse 26 now an angel of the lord said to philip go south to the road the desert road that goes down from jerusalem to gaza so he started out and on his way he met an ethiopian eunuch an important official in charge of all the treasury of candace queen of the ethiopians this man had gone to jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's some water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? Clearly there's a bit of a montage that's happened here. There's been training taking place, gone through other passages, and clearly this eunuch has come to faith in Christ. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. The eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let me pray for us once more and ask God to bless this time and his word together. Living God, we come to your word, which we believe that your spirit inspired to be written. And because your Spirit inspired these words, we're not reading a a history book here, although it contains history. We're reading living words that want to speak to us today, that have a purpose in our lives right now. And I'd ask that you'd reveal that to us, God. Would you open our hearts, our minds, our ears to receive what you want to show us? And then give us faith to trust you as we act on what you show us, that we be those who are not hearers only of the Word, but doers. Now, as I always ask, eternal God, you move and govern my tongue to speak your truth. Amen. This will probably be uh, difficult for many of us to remember, but if you could think back this far, first day of kindergarten, that's a hard day. That's, that's a hard day for pretty much everyone, right? It's usually the first time you're away from mom and dad for an extended period of time. Everybody's, they don't know what to do. Everyone trying to figure out the, the rules and jostling for position in the class. There's usually tears that drop off for, for a little while for everyone as they get used to this. And it usually takes a few weeks, if not months, for everyone to kind of get the flow of how things go and establish a comfortable rhythm. Well, this, among other things, is also What makes coming in later in the year, or like I did, halfway through the year, really hard for a kid starting out in kindergarten? Because, I mean, everyone's already gone through that, that weird, awkward stage of figuring out everything, and they've had this shared experience, and they've established their patterns of hierarchy, of comfortable rhythms. And although I wasn't trying to, uh, when I moved in the winter of 1980 from Rockland Elementary in Campbell River to David Thompson Elementary in Kamloops, I apparently threatened to mess that up for everybody. They were just, I, so I just thrown a big hand grenade into their comfortable rhythm of how things go, and it pushed everyone out of their established rhythms of comfort. And without getting into the whole long sordid story, the, in the end, I, I ended up actually being treated pretty much like an outcast by my class for the first little while. And yet looking back now, if their little five-year-old minds had been able to go there, it wouldn't have taken much thought at all to recognize, well, hey, wait a minute. Did I, for for these kids to think to themselves, did did I choose to be born in this country? Did I choose to live in this city or in this school district? Did I choose to be brought to this school or to have this teacher? Did Did I actually do anything that would make... Me, worthy or justified in having these feelings of protective, this class is mine, this is how it goes, and these feelings of exclusion. I mean, did, was there anything that would make that legitimate? No. These things were all outside of themselves. But of course, we can sit here and, and judge those kids for being the exclusionary you know, jerk faces that they were. <laughs> but the truth is, the reality is Today, we can act in exactly the same way as the church. Developing our own patterns of comforts or rhythms of how we feel like things should go and then get this protective, exclusionary mindset when someone or something comes in and wants to kind of change things, wants to disrupt how we're used to things going, all the while, again, completely forgetting that we did nothing in and of ourselves to be welcomed into this family of God. It was an act of grace to us. Well, the early church had just such a struggle as this, particularly in their pioneer years when all of their cultural, their religious comfort levels were being challenged all over the place, pretty much daily it seems here. And yet in the end, what helped them was after the Holy Spirit's you know, kind of strong encouragement to get out of Jerusalem, keeping Jesus' commission always in front of them, that they were not to set up in Jerusalem, but they were to grow God's kingdom beyond the bounds and the familiar bounds of Jerusalem out into Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So think back to that uh, kindergarten class for a minute. Just go there in your mind. If you're in a scenario like that or like I was, what's going to be the one kind of saving grace in that scenario that's going to help you if you're in circumstances like that? Can you think of anything? All right, I'll help you out. For me, what it was, was the assigned friend. The assigned host. Were you ever one of these in a class? A teacher picks a kid in the class and says, you are now going to follow this kid around. You're going to be their friend. You're going to show them where things are. You're going to introduce them to other kids. You're going to help them get used to how things go in the class and really just facilitate their welcome. Well, as we continue through this series in the book of Acts, Pioneer Church. And over the next three weeks in particular, we're going to look at three late-to-the-party, brand-new kids in the class. Three different ones. Uh, new kids to the, that God calls into the church, each one in different ways absolutely stretching the comfort levels and the comfortable rhythms of the early church in all kinds of different ways. And we'll see that in each case, God also assigns a friend or, or a host A witness, I would call them, who comes alongside and helps facilitate their welcome into this new church family. And in our passage this morning, the first new kid we're going to look at is this Ethiopian official traveling home to Ethiopia from worshiping in Jerusalem. And the witness, the the friend that God assigns to him, is another one of that first group of deacons that we looked at last week, which included Stephen, a guy named Philip. Now, Philip, sometimes called Philip the evangelist, just like his other fellow deacons, is also a man full of the Spirit, full of wisdom. God uh, empowers him to speak the gospel powerfully wherever he goes. He also empowers him to, says, to perform miraculous signs and wonders just like some of the other deacons and apostles that are empowered by the Spirit and which authenticate his witness. Actually, if you look a few paragraphs back from our passage in verses 4 through 8, there it talks about Philip... First, being part of this thriving ministry in one of the towns of Samaria, which already, that's another, another one of these comfort zone stretching endeavors for the church. Because if you didn't know, Samaritans and Jews, they, they didn't play well together in the sandbox. All right? They were historic, strong enemies of each other. But as the church is scattered from Jerusalem and persecution take, makes that happen, and as they follow Jesus' commission, we see now the church is even growing into the towns of Samaria. And yet, even though Philip's witness is thriving in this Samaritan town and the kingdom of God is growing, all of a sudden the Spirit shows up and calls Philip away. Calls him away from a ministry to thousands to a ministry to just one. And the challenge to comfort that Philip faces here in our passage, there's a number of them, but one in particular that stands out, And it also, we have it in our lives today, is the challenge to our schedule. Challenge to our calendar or the way we've set up our life that we like it to go. Because the Spirit of God, maybe you're not a a pastor leading a church, but I promise you, you have a pattern of comfort. You have a rhythm of how you like things to go in your own life. And I promise you, the Spirit of God is going to come at different times and different ways, and he's going to interrupt that schedule. He's going to override it from time to time, primarily because, as we've said over and over again, the Spirit is solely focused on building the kingdom of God. He's not here to help you try to build and fashion your own little kingdoms. Sometimes the way the Spirit does that is in really... uh, abrupt, unavoidable ways, like we saw last Sunday with the martyrdom of Stephen, which, which forces the, the, these Jews, uh, the church here in Jerusalem, out of their ethnocentric, their geocentric comfort zones. But I think much more often, actually, the Spirit works like we see Him doing here in our passage today with Philip, just quietly, gently leading us, actually, in ways that are avoidable, in which we could miss, actually, if we're not being attentive and listening to the Spirit's voice. So in order to see what this could look like in our own lives, as well as how, learn how we can become more attentive to the Spirit's leading, I want to look at our passage this morning just in three ways. We'll look at going where the Spirit goes, speaking what the Spirit speaks, and then finally, seeking whom the Spirit calls. Going where the Spirit goes, speaking what the Spirit says, Seeking whom the Spirit calls. So if you closed your Bibles, would you open them again to that passage, Acts 8, 26. Follow along with me as we look at this next amazing event in the life of this pioneer church. Okay, let's look first of all at going where the Spirit goes. Going where the Spirit goes. Now we already said in verses 4 through 8 of this passage here, Philip is leading this thriving ministry in this Samaritan town. And as he's doing that, suddenly verse 26, out of nowhere, we read this. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So literally, what we see here is Philip's in this thriving church plant, and and the Holy Spirit sends an angel. He shows up and just says, Philip, I want you to leave this ministry here, and I want you to go to a road. Out in the deserts, Actually, in the heat of the day, Okay? And then that's it. He doesn't say anything, there's, there's nothing else. He doesn't give him any other uh, uh, reasons or, or anything else. He just says, so I want you to go. That's it. And yet, incredibly, I mean, I don't know how you'd respond, but incredibly, look at 1st half of 27. So he started out. <laughs> like he, just, he, just, he just goes. He's, he, he's, his schedule, his way of doing things is interrupted. Spirit leads him to do this, and he just obeys. He just goes. Now Luke doesn't give us any indication about how he felt about that. I mean maybe he was super choked that God had called him away or maybe he was happy. I don't know. But the point is it, it's regardless. Regardless of how he feels, Philip hears the command of God and he just obeys. Look, without even doesn't even know the details, he doesn't know what to expect. He just goes. I mean, we see this type of faith all through the Bible. Actually, if you think for instance of uh, Abraham back in the book of Genesis, God calls him to do some incredibly difficult things with, with almost zero background. I mean, uh, Abraham, I want you to leave your country, leave your father's house and everything you know, and go to the place where I'll show you. He doesn't even tell him where it is. I just want you to start heading out, and I'll show you where it is. And he does it. Uh, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son whom you love, and I want you to sacrifice him as a burnt offering. I mean, incredibly Difficult things that the Spirit leads Abraham to do. And yet, in both those cases, we see the same immediate obedience from Abraham. Just as then the next day, he got up and went. A little further down in our passage, look to verse 29 there. 29 and 30, we see uh, the Spirit gives Philip another command. Go up to that chariot and stay near it. Again, no information as to why he should go, uh, what, what, what's going to happen when he gets there. Just says, go up to that chariot and stay by it. And once again, Philip just goes where the Spirit's telling him to go. Now, we're family, right? We can be honest with each other. I, I want to just acknowledge together with you, discerning what the Spirit is calling us to do, a lot of times, that's, that's hard. It's hard. It's challenging. Sometimes it's really stressful. God, what am I supposed to do here? You're not telling me what to do. And, and, and frankly... A lot of us would probably love to have an angel show up like this and tell us exactly what God wants. Be like, I want you to go here, do that. We'd probably like it, right? And yet, hang on, when, when you look at some of the things that God calls these people to do, okay, maybe not. Okay, maybe actually we kind of like the ambiguity of not knowing exactly, <laughs> because sometimes he tells us to do hard stuff, and we might kind of like the idea, I'm not really sure if I should go there yet. But here's the thing, when when we're trying to discern this, it can be hard and it can be difficult, but what I want you to do is for the moment, I want you to take those situations right now in your life, those circumstances where you're not sure, and I want you to just set them aside for a moment. Just set them over here, we're not discounting, and they're there, but I want you to just think in your own life for a moment. When you look at your life and the places where you are certain, where you do know what the Spirit is calling you to do? Do you obey Him like this? Do you obey Him right away? I mean, maybe it's uh, in a time in your own personal devotion in the morning. Maybe it's sitting here in a service, uh, uh, in your home group, uh, something. You feel the Spirit pressing on you, saying, man, I want you to give up that, that idol in your life, which is Breaking, it's, it's hindering your relationship with me. I want you to know me deep. I need you to get rid of that. I want you to let go of that bitterness that you're holding to so tightly. I want you to, today should be the day, I want you to speak to that friend or family member about your faith, whatever it is. When you hear him pressing on you like that and you do know what he wants, do you obey him like this? Do you listen and follow whatever the cost And are you willing to rearrange your schedule and your comfort levels in order to obey Him? Think about that. Is the Holy Spirit allowed? Is He allowed to interrupt your busy schedule? To change your calendar when He needs to? Or in the end, do the requests of God actually, if you're honest, do they need to kind of be submitted to you for approval first before you obey them? When it's clear what the Spirit is calling to us to do, may we be obedient, and may we be obedient right away. At the same time, I would honestly, at this, I'm honestly wanting to say as well, reminding us, no, it doesn't mean that we're accepted by God because we obey. That's not the reason God loves us and accepts us. No, Jesus is the only one who ever could or did do that. But what we should always be striving to do, we should always be striving to obey Him like this, because it's out of a grateful heart that we have for what Jesus' perfect obedience accomplished for us. We respond to obedience now because we're grateful, not to earn His love for us, but because we're grateful for the love we already have. I think that's exactly what we see Philip doing here. Okay, so that's going where the Spirit goes, lots more we could say there, but just following where the Spirit leads us, doing that without reservation, and and without having to know everything ahead of time, without having to have every possible outcome laid out before us before we decide to do it, just trusting that His plans are better than ours and going. Next, I want to look at speaking what the Spirit speaks. Speaking what the Spirit speaks. And this is important for us to look at because one of the things we're going to see throughout... Philip's witness here this morning is the amazing way that although God does not need us in any way, He still invites us to join Him in growing His kingdom. It's an unbelievable privilege. And the way God does that here is to invite Philip to join Him in the Holy Spirit's work of opening up the Bible, of, of interpreting the Bible to this Ethiopian official. If you look at verse 30 here and following, we see that as Philip goes where the Spirit's telling him to go and he comes up alongside this official's chariot, he's close enough now that he can hear what's going on inside the cab and he can hear the prophet. He can hear he's reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, two things quickly. No, it's not weird that he can hear what he's reading because in ancient times, this is how people read. They read aloud. That's how everyone read. And Because this guy is a high-ranking official, he's basically the CFO of all of the Ethiopian country, it's also a good chance that he's got a servant reading to him. Okay, So he's not even the one reading himself. Secondly, no, it's not a miracle that Philip can keep up with a chariot, uh, just running along, having a conversation. It's it's not weird because, again, chariots in this sense here are not like those little tiny ones like you see in those chariot races in Ben-Hur. It's not like that. This is a much longer, uh, uh, stretched out, like a carriage, kind of like you'd see in Little House on the Prairie, but way more pimped out, but just a, a longer carriage that's probably uh, driven by uh, an ox, not, not a horse. So that's why he can keep up. The pace wouldn't have been much faster than a walking pace. And when Philip gets close enough and he hears what the official is reading, he just politely inquires as to whether or not the official understands. Do you understand what you're Reading And then in verse 31, look there, the official makes an interesting reply. He says, no, but it's the way he says no that's so interesting. Look, he says, how can I? How can I understand unless someone explains it to me? Now, that's actually a very biblical statement. Because if you look, for instance, at what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, he says almost the exact same thing. Listen. Paul writes, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man, that is, the man who has the Spirit in him, makes judgments about all things. So, at a very basic level, what Paul is saying and what the Ethiopian official is describing as his experience is that without the Spirit's help, you can't Just pick up the Bible and automatically understand what it means. No, that doesn't mean there's some kind of magic force field around the Bible that makes a non-Christian suddenly illiterate. They don't know how to read when they pick up the Bible. No, you can understand the words. You can read the words. But what Paul is saying there is that without the Spirit opening up your mind to understand, all you can do is read the words. That's all you can do. And frankly, it says it's going to sound like foolishness to you. As you read the words. It'll be like reading the words to come together from the Beatles. You could just you look at it and you're like, What do you mean, juju eyeballs? Like I know these are English words, but I don't even know what you're saying. It, it it's like that. We can't get to the meaning. We need the spirit's help. So what that means is what the spirit is leading Philip to do, and what the Ethiopian official is inviting Philip up into the chariot to do is to join the Spirit in his work now of opening up the Bible, interpreting the Bible so that he can understand what it means. Now, let's stop quickly and ask ourselves the question again. Does the Holy Spirit need Philip to do this? Does he require Philip to to speak for him because he's not able to speak for himself? Like the Holy Spirit is some kind of cosmic mime you know, who, who would like to explain things more, but he's like, dang it, how do I mime substitutionary atonement? I don't know how to... Do that. I wish I had someone to speak for me. He's, he doesn't need him at all. But graciously, what we see God doing again and again is he condescends, he stoops, and invites us to join him in his work. Yeah. He says, come, come with me. I want you to come with me. Why? Because it's exciting. It's actually so exciting and joyful when, when you can do this, and the Spirit wants Philip to know that joy. He wants us to know that joy today as we seek to do the same thing. And if you've ever taught somebody something, showed them something and seen the light come on, I, oh, it's like that. That's the experience that the Spirit wants Philip to know and us to know as we join him in his work of opening up the Word to people. As we read on here, verse 35 through 37, as Philip takes that opportunity, here we see again, following his hero, Jesus. Because back in Luke 24, we read another instance where Jesus... Uh, meets two travelers on the road to Emmaus and he takes them through the scriptures, opens them up to them and reveals to them how they all point to him. In the exact same way, starting with this passage that the official is going through, Philip shares the hope of the gospel with him, shows him how all of these things that he's been reading actually point to Jesus. And as he does that, now we see the Holy Spirit does come. He does show up and do what only the Holy Spirit can do. He convicts the official of his sin, and shows him his need for forgiveness in Jesus. And that leads him then to perform his very first act of obedience as a witness, comes to some water, and now he expresses the faith that he has in Jesus and being baptized. And we said this a couple of weeks ago when we had our baptism service here, but I'll say it again. If you didn't know, baptism is not a step that you do when you've reached some super level of Christianity. It's not something that makes you a better Christian. It is your very first act of witness once you've come to faith in Jesus. It's the first thing you do that says, look what Jesus has done for me. And I'd ask any of you, if you, if you haven't been baptized and you know Jesus as your Savior, I'd love to talk with you further after the service, talk with you this week. I'd love to talk more with you about being baptized if you haven't taken that step of obedience yet. There's a whole lot we could say here as we look at what Philip is doing, but the question I want us to consider just at this time right now anyway is why was Philip able to do this? I mean, how, how, why was he able to just get up in that chariot, find the passage he was looking at, and be like, oh, let me show you how that points to Jesus. How, how could he do that? And I think the answer is because he was expecting to. He was expecting to and what do i mean do i mean that philip had some kind of a crystal ball and he could look ahead and he knew he'd be meeting this exact official and he knew what passage he'd be reading so he could study ahead of time look at commentaries and know how to explain it to them no what i mean is simply that because philip understood that everyone who has received the holy spirit is called to be a witness he expected that that meant he would have to witness to people He expected it. He he expected that means I'm going to need to testify to what I've seen and heard about Jesus. I mean, think about it. When when you enroll in university as a student, you expect to be a student, to do student stuff, like studying, uh, reading, uh, taking tests, right? What that means is because Philip expected to be a witness, he also prepared to be a witness. He knew it was coming, and so he prepared for it. My simple question for us now is, if you have received that same Holy Spirit that we're talking about all through Acts, that that Jesus says in Acts 1-8, when you receive that Spirit, you will be my witnesses. If you've received that same Spirit, are you preparing? Are you preparing for the times when you will be a witness? Actually, first of all, I want to ask you, are you asking God to give you opportunities to be a witness? Are you asking him, when you get up in the morning, when you head off to work or class or whatever it is, are you praying, God, would you give me an opportunity today? Give me an opportunity to be a a witness for you to someone in my family, in my class, in my work. Are you doing that? Because I guarantee if you're doing that, you're also going to be preparing. You're going to be preparing ahead of time to be that witness. And maybe you'd stop and say, whoa, 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 whoa. What's all this stuff about preparing? Uh, I wasn't told that. Uh, uh, Does this mean I have to be a Bible trivia expert? Now, uh, I need to memorize the Bible cover to cover? No. No, you don't. What it means is that, first of all, you you need to know, we need to do all we can to know about the one whom we're witnessing to. Do everything we can to know all that we can about him. It's not going to be the same forever, but We should be working to know all we can about him. Because think about it. When you uh, are in university and you're about to write a final exam, if you've never opened the textbook, if it's still got that plastic wrap on the outside. If you're about to write the final exam and you pray, God, help me pass this test. Could the Holy Spirit give you every answer to the the, the test so that you could get every answer right? Could he do that? Yeah, of course he could. He could do that. But you know what he's more likely to do? He's more likely to call to mind the things that you've already studied, the things that you've already prepared to write that test for. And he's going to bring them to mind as you do it. Same thing here. This isn't about being a Bible expert. That's not what Philip is either. I promise you, he, he's prepared ahead of time. He knows who he's witnessing to, and the same thing with you and I today. Because I promise you, if the only time, if the only time you open this book is on Sunday when I ask you to turn in your Bibles to whatever, it's going to be a lot more difficult. There's going to be a lot less for the Spirit to call to mind When you do have those moments, when you are a witness to someone, there's going to be a lot more in place if this, studying this book, knowing God's word is a regular daily practice in your life. At whatever level, you're able to do that. So, step one, we need to let go, abandon, stop repeating that illusion that says, uh, Being a witness to people, explaining the Bible to people, that's the pastor's job. That's what he does. No, it isn't. It's also my job, but it's the job of a witness. And then, next step, step two, start. Just start to develop a plan. Develop a plan to become a better witness. I'll tell you what, it's going to involve absolutely prayer. It's going to involve talking to the God who you're in this life-saving relationship with. That should be just obvious to us. Secondly, it's going to involve spending time intake, some sort of Bible intake on a daily basis, in whatever form. Listen, this is 2017. You are not limited in the options you have to get this Bible into you, whether that's just reading yourself, listening to the Bible, uh, um, YouTube videos, podcasts that are explaining maybe questions you have about the Bible. You've got resources. I would love. I would fall over if someone came to me in the week, sending me questions. Hey, what does that passage mean? You'd make my day. Listen, there are tons of opportunities, limitless opportunities, to understand this book, to understand this one who we're witnessing to, and develop a pool, develop a pool from which the Spirit can then draw when we do have those opportunities to be a witness, to witness to those that the Spirit is calling to Himself. So we've looked at going where the Spirit goes, speaking what the Spirit speaks. The last thing I want us to look at is seeking whom the Spirit calls. Seeking whom the Spirit calls. And this is essential. This is essential to a whole discussion both throughout the book of Acts as well as in these next three weeks as we look at these new kids to the class. Okay? Because if you didn't know already, when the Holy Spirit calls someone to Himself, they're not going to look like you. They're going to be different. They're going to think different, look different, have different experiences because God didn't save a whole bunch of yous. He saved all kinds of different people. And this first new kid that we see the Spirit calling to himself in our passage today, although ethnically it's possible he had the same Jewish roots as Philip, culturally, vastly different from Philip, way different. And religiously speaking, would have been considered an outcast by the Jews the reason being for that is because of philips because of this uh, officials desire to remain in ethiopia and to take on this high ranking position of treasurer not being of royal blood it would have required him to become a eunuch to be castrated that was common pra- practice historically if you were not of the royal family and you worked in close proximity to royalty you had to become a eunuch okay so now maybe you'd hear that and think okay wow <laughs> Ouch, that sounds like a pretty heavy cost to be able to pay for this position, but so what? So what if he's a a eunuch? Well, as God was laying out in detail the prescribed rules for how he was to be worshipped in the Old Testament, we read in the book of Deuteronomy that when a man who has been made a eunuch, a man who's done what this Ethiopian official did, that person is expressly forbidden from even entering the temple to worship. He can't even go in. Listen to what uh, God says to his priests through Moses Deuteronomy 23. No one who has been emasculated by crushing or by cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. Now, I need you to really see this so you can understand why this is such a big deal that, that, that the Spirit leads Philip to be a witness to this man in particular as he travels from Jerusalem back to Ethiopia. Because most commentators agree that this official is either someone of Jewish heritage who just ended up settling in Ethiopia after the slaves were freed from the Babylonian exile; that he didn't go back to Jerusalem, his family went to Ethiopia. He's either of Jewish heritage or he's one of these people we hear about called Godfears. All through the Book of Acts, there's these people called Godfears who were Gentile converts to uh, the the Hebrew God. They came to believe in the God of the Bible, but they didn't uh, submit themselves to the Jewish rites of circumcision, dietary laws. They weren't following in that way, so they weren't uh, full converts is what it was. But think about this. Here we have a man who's he's seeking. He's deeply interested in knowing about this God of the Bible. since Knowing about his word. He's, he's coming to, to worship him. He desires to come and worship this God. And we know this both because of this interaction he has with Philip, as well as the fact that this journey from Ethiopia, which is in in this passage here, this is modern-day Sudan, this journey from Ethiopia to Jerusalem would have taken five months in both directions. It's literally like a year-long round trip. Okay, So this is not whipping down to the gorge for creation fest. This is a a huge investment, time, money, in order to come to, to Jerusalem to worship. And we've talked uh, numerous times as we talked about how the the temple in Jerusalem was set up during this time period. There was an inner court, the Holy of Holies, where only the high priest could enter. Then, outside of that, you had the court of Israel, where only the men could enter to worship and offer their sacrifices. Outside of that, another ring, the court of women, where the women could come to worship and sacrifice. Outside of that, the Gentile court. This is where these God-fearers could come at a distance and worship the God of the Hebrews. But consider this. This official has made this incredible five month trek, come all the way to worship this God of Israel who he's seeking. He, he's come to believe in. And when he gets there, he has the embarrassing, humiliating discovery that he's not even allowed inside the door. This prohibition of Deuteronomy 23 means that he's barred from even entering into the gates. And where Philip shows up to be a witness to him is now on his, the first leg of his long, humiliating five-month trek back to Ethiopia. Now, <laughs> feeling devastated like, I'm an outcast, I, I can't be part of this family now. Still desiring to know God, still desiring to learn, but he knows now I'm an outcast. I, I'm not even allowed in. We don't know exactly everything that Philip said to this man but again because he was expecting to be a witness and he was prepared to be a witness that was the first stage of being ready to speak to this man and we know Philip would have known he he knew the, the the Bible himself he would have known that this man was excluded this man was excluded from worshiping in the temple that according to the Jewish law as far as temple worship he was an outcast it's also though nearly certain I think that as the Spirit led Philip to witness to this man, who also would have been very much outside of his comfort zone, he wouldn't have naturally spoken to this man either as a Jew. As he was led to, to speak the gospel, to speak the truth of the gospel from this passage he's reading, which is from Isaiah 53, he reads to him and shows him about another man, another man who was humiliated, another man who was cut off and excluded, left without descendants, Jesus. He shows him the good news about Jesus. And I think, actually, Philip would have undoubtedly led him to just read a little bit further. A little bit further from this passage to what Isaiah says in Isaiah 56. Listen. This is what the Lord says. The Lord, uh, this, uh, to the eunuch who keeps my Sabbath who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name that is better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will never be cut off. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Wow. See what he's doing? He's he's using the scriptures to show this humiliated, dejected outcast that because of Jesus' fulfillment of that Mosaic law, he too could be welcomed. He too could be accepted into the family of God. And I think it's entirely due to that gospel-transforming hope that this official now comes to faith in Jesus, receives then that outward sign of faith in being baptized. I love that he doesn't even ask him. He's not like... Should I be baptized? Can I be baptized? Is that allowed? He just sees some water and he's like, I believe in this Jesus. He's welcomed me. Why shouldn't I be baptized? Why shouldn't I be? I love that. And I'll tell you what, coming to a passage like this today, in the city of Vancouver, 2017, it is way too easy to draw what I think are wrong and absolutely anachronistic parallels to this young man when we're trying to apply this to our lives today. Don't immediately jump to those kind of conclusions. But listen, as you consider Philip's witness to this man who was outside of his cultural and religious comfort zones, but whom the Spirit had clearly called to himself, I want to ask you to consider for yourself who are the modern-day equivalents of this Ethiopian eunuch in our world today who the Spirit may lead us to witness to? Who might they be? Who are the ones who who might be interested in God, learning about the the Bible, and who the Spirit could absolutely be calling to Himself, but who also are certain. They're not wondering, they are certain that either because of some choices they made in the past, maybe because of some horrible things that have been done to them, maybe because of current struggles, addictions, lifestyles that they're living, they are certain that they would be rejected, treated as outcasts, and barred from even entering the door if they were to show up at church on Sunday. Is the message of the gospel good news to those people too? Do they they need to hear that same gospel hope? And if the Spirit calls them, will you be willing to step outside of your comfort zone in order to show them the welcome that Jesus extends to outcasts? I think we will if we're expecting to be witnesses and we're prepared. But I understand, I get it. It's it's awkward. It could be really difficult, scary. It'd be scary to do that. lots of different reasons and I want to be really clear what I'm not saying at all is that now Jesus is cool with sin that he's just like you know what yeah I cared about that in the past but now whatever that's not what I'm saying I'm simply reminding us of what Jesus himself said when he was here on earth ministering saying I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance read through the gospel see how many times Jesus is the one ministering to the outcasts People who are otherwise rejected by society, he's going to them. And I think a starting point that can be really helpful for all of us, just like it would have been to those kids in my kindergarten class all those years ago, is to begin with the realization our welcome into the family of God was also a welcoming of an outcast. So was ours. There's nothing, there's nothing we did. There's nothing we, we achieved that, that earned some place in God's family. Is your testimony, yeah, I used to struggle with sin, but I cleaned myself up enough, and God said, okay, now you're accepted. Is that your testimony? No, it isn't. We are not just undeserving. We are ill-deserving of God's grace, and yet he reached down to the, us as those who were excluded from fellowship with him, and he welcomed us in I think that's a starting point that will help us understand that none of us are worthy of adoption as sons and daughters of God. It doesn't make it easy now, but it is a beginning that should at least make it a great deal more, make us a great deal more willing to step out when the spirit is leading us, when we feel sure he is leading me to talk to that person, he is leading me to share with them. Step out of our comfort zones wherever he leads us to be witnesses and to extend the same welcome to outcasts that he extended to us. So as we close here, just just take a moment. Don't leave this as ambiguous. You're right, I should should witness to outcasts. Make it specific. Think of specific people that you know right now. Who who are the outcasts in your life that you have uh, engagement with, that you have interaction with? Those who might actually be interested in the faith that they hear you talking about. Interested in this hope you seem to have in difficult times, but are also certain they'd be laughed at, they'd be rejected if if they would ever ask you. Who are those outcasts in your life? If you're expecting to be a witness for Jesus and you're preparing, when those moments come, you too may be invited into some very different experiences, different places than you're used to being. But if you'll follow the Spirit's leading, you will have the same amazing privilege of welcoming, welcoming a fellow outcast into God's family. We'll never do that without the Spirit's help, though, so let's pray together right now and ask, ask for it.